How to Beat the Racists, a Workers' Liberty Pamphlet, What is the Nation of Islam? The Nation of Islam, NOI, was founded in 1930 as a peculiar fusion of Islam and conservative variant of black nationalism. The NOI considered whites to be devils and that the answer to American racism was the promotion of black business, racial separation and the creation of a black state. Black historian Manning Marable describes how the NOI came to be refounded by Louis Farrakhan in 1981. Quote, in the 1970s, most black radicals influenced heavily by Malcolm X's public separation from and feud with the nation in 1964 to 65 still viewed the organization with a great deal of skepticism. Elijah Muhammad, NOI leader, attempted to establish closer links with the US government and other foreign interests in an effort to resolve his group's ongoing political and economic troubles by making peace with Chicago's political boss, Richard Daly. The nation was able to eliminate most of the police surveillance and harassment against the sect. Imitating the FBI, Nation of Islam members in Philadelphia destroyed that city's Black Panther Party headquarters in retaliation for the group's public advocacy of Malcolm X's ideas. In 1972, Mohammed negotiated a $3 million interest-free loan from Libyan dictator Colonel Muammar Gaddafi, which, used, which was used to expand black Muslim enterprises. Despite these gains, the Nation of Islam was still plagued by internal dis, um, dissension. One of the nation's most dynamic and powerful ministers, Hamas Abdul Khalis, Ernest McGee, denounced the nation as a corruption of the true faith, Sunni Islam, in 1972. Khalis declared that Muhammad was a lying deceiver and stated that their leader, who inspired former dope addicts and prostitutes to monk-like lives of sacrifice, discipline and hard work, was instead stealing his followers money and leading them to hell. For devout defenders of Muhammad, Khalis's challenge could not remain unanswered. On 18th of January 1973, at least five armed gunmen, all members of the Nation of Islam, entered Khalees' Washington, D.C. home and butchered five members of his family. With Muhammad's death in 1975, the leadership of the Nation of Islam passed to one of his sons, Wallace. Quickly and efficiently, Wallace Muhammad malcolmized the sect. A mixture of racial mythology and religious dogma promulgated by Elijah Muhammad was abandoned in favor of the orthodox teachings of Islam. Whites were permitted to attend services and in some instances even join the group. Yet these dramatic changes did not occur without more dissension. Louis Farrakhan, perhaps the most charismatic minister in the nation after the departure of Malcolm X, had quietly left the nation by 1978. In February 1981, Farrakhan announced the creation of the old NOI under his direction. Following the tenets of Elijah Muhammad, several thousand blacks soon flocked to Farrakhan's group. End quote, from Race, Reform and Rebellion. The following Farrakhan has built up since 1978 is particularly surprising because of the part he played in the NOI's feud with Malcolm X. In December 1964, writing as Louis X, Farrakhan wrote, quote, Malcolm shall not escape. Malcolm is worthy of death. End quote. Malcolm was shot down two months later in February 1965. In 1994, Malcolm's widow, Betty Shabazz, was asked on WNBC-TV if she thought Farrakhan had anything to do with her husband's killing. She answered, quote, Of course, yes. Nobody kept it a secret. It was a badge of honour. Everybody talked about it. Yes. End quote. Moreover, Farrakhan's NOI has continued Elijah Muhammad's tradition of links with the fascist right. 
believing that the Nazis, who also want racial separation, have something in common with the NOI. In June 1961, a delegation of American Nazi Party members attended the NOI's convention in Washington, D.C. In 1962, Nazi, Nazi Party leader George Lincoln Rockwell, dressed in full Nazi regalia, declared to the NOI Chicago Convention, quote, Elijah Muhammad is to the so-called Negro what Adolf Hitler was to the German people, Heil Hitler, end quote. Malcolm X, who had been ordered to represent the NOI at a meeting with the fascists in 1961, later wrote to Rockwell, quote, This is to warn you that I am no longer held in check from fighting white supremacists by Elijah Muhammad's separatist black Muslim movement, end quote. Malcolm Speaks, 1965. In 1964, Malcolm had offered to send people to the Deep South to give the Ku Klux Klan, quote, to give the Ku Klux Klan a taste of their own medicine, end quote. But in 1985, Farrakhan repeated Elijah Muhammad's mistakes by allowing Californian Klan leader Tom Metzger to attend an NOI rally in Los Angeles. The NOI accepted a $100 donation from this racist scumbag. Farrakhan has also declared that, quote, Hitler was a very great man, end quote, at a rally for Jesse Jackson, 1984. The organization Louis Farrakhan now leads has tracked towards the democratic mainstream during the 1990s. It remains right-wing, anti-white and anti-Korean. Some Korean people run shops in black areas in U.S. cities. Farrakhan is anti-abortion, anti-gay, and wants to see schools separated by sex. Some of the NOI's meetings and rallies are closed to women. The NOI is also profoundly anti-Semitic. In the past, it has distributed the infamous Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a Russian Tsarist police forgery which claims to show that a Jewish conspiracy exists to control the world. The NOI has its own, quote, protocols, end quote. The secret relationship between blacks and Jews claims that Jews ran the African slave trade, Jews were the major owners of slaves in the U.S., Jews raped black women, but during Reconstruction, Jews preyed on freed black slaves. Like many anti-Semitic texts, the NOI claims it is based on the works of, quote, respected Jewish authorities, end quote. In fact, the secret relationship is a lying mess in which facts are misrepresented and notorious anti-Semites such as Dostoevsky are quoted to prove a point. In fact, Jews were a very small minority of whites in the Deep South and owned as a proportion less slaves than other groups of whites. Farrakhan believes the Jews control the media and that Judaism is a, quote, dirty religion, end quote. Farrakhan's deputy, Khalid Mohammed, calls Jews, quote, bloodsuckers of the black nation, end quote. Speaking in February 1994, Khalid Mohammed said, quote, God will kill my enemy, and that old no-good Jew, that old imposter, that old hook-nosed bagel-eating, locks-eating, Johnny-come-lately perpetrating a fraud, just crawled out of the caves and hills of Europe, so-called damn Jew, I will never apologize to this bastard, never, end quote. The NOI and Louis Farrakhan are bad news. The Cult of the Gun Black Panthers are the most representative example of revolutionary black nationalism. Dan Katz looks at two books written by participants, Bobby Seals Sees the Means, published by Vintage, 1970, and Elaine Brown's A Taste of Power, published by Pantheon, 1992. Quote, Huey Newton, the Central Panther leader, said, I've got my gun, what are you going to do with yours? And Huey's calling the pigs, swine, dogs, sharecroppers, bastards, motherfuckers with his M1 in his hand and daring them, just daring them, end quote. 
These are the words of Bobby Seale, chairman of the Black Panthers. I've got my gun was a beautiful, defiant thing for a black man to say in racist 1960s America, where gun-happy white racists were armed to the teeth. And the Panthers grew rapidly because they proved as good as their words. They policed the police, following two high-profile stunts with guns. As a security team for Betty Shabazz, Malcolm X's widow at San Francisco Airport, and then at the California State Legislature in Sacramento in May 1967, in a protest against restrictions on the use of firearms, their daring and bravery became widely known. Panther leader David Hilliard explained that, quote, there were only seven real Panthers after Sacramento, thousands of brothers signed up, end quote. The Panthers were not just a black-only party. They set out to base themselves on, quote, lumpen, end quote, black youth, young people of the inner city slums, rather than black workers. The party was built on a minority of a minority, around men like Bunchy Carter, former leader of the 5,000-strong Slauson gang. The political background was the U.S.'s war in Vietnam, and centrally, the growth of a mass civil rights movement and the radicalization of black youth in the American inner cities. Years, year after year in the mid-1960s, the black ghettos rose up against poverty, and the police and the Panthers were part of that movement, an expression of the times. The response of the U.S. state was repression on a vast scale. FBI boss J. Edgar Hoover declared that, quote, the Black Panther Party is the single greatest threat to the internal security of the U.S., end quote. Hundreds were arrested and scores killed as the Black Panther Party was infiltrated by the state and set up by their provocateurs. Solidarity with the struggle against racism and in opposition to the government-sponsored harassment of the Black Panther Party is basic for socialists. But how should the Panthers' ideas, policies and strategy be assessed? Had the Panthers got a viable policy to defeat the racist state? Could they end racism? If a reader cares to be critical, some answers already exist in Seize the Time. Beyond the immediate questions of guns and the police and the Panthers' community programmes, there is not a lot of politics. The Panthers never precisely state what is wrong with the government policy or how the Panthers' 10-point political programme could be carried out, or by whom. Take this scene from Seize the Time. Huey and Bobby decided to get cash to buy guns. They found a man who will sell them cheap copies of Mao's Little Red Book. They took the books to the university campus and made a big profit. What about the policies of the Little Red Book? Huey decided that not all of it was applicable to America and crosses some, out, some of it out with a pen. Nevertheless, this is what they had been selling. What this passage shows is that gun came first and the politics further back. In essence, the Panthers were a proud, dramatic, armed, semi-suicidal defiance of the brutal power which crushed black people. They sacrificed themselves on behalf of America's brutalised black poor, whom they tried to inspire with the will to resist and fight back. Politically, they were little more than that. Certainly, they were not politically coherent. On these central political matters, Elaine Brown's book takes us no further forward. She has nothing but uncritical, apolitical, glowing praise for Huey Newton. And on the Panthers' Stalinism, their praise for the Chinese and North Korean police states, Brown's book is terrible. Written in 1992, after the 1989-91 revolutions in Eastern Europe, she is still uncritical of Panther illusions in Stalinism. Nevertheless, it is not that the Panthers were even really Stalinists rather that they simply lined up with those who opposed their own enemy, the US government. What A Taste of Power does do is provide a much more complete, honest picture of the Black Panthers, warts and all. 
Elaine Brown is a good witness. She was in the building when Ron Karanga's cultural nationalist killed leading Panthers Bunchy Carter and John Huggins. She was there when Huey Newton confronted Farrah Khan. Seemingly, they came close to killing each other after Farrah Khan's black Muslim organisation badmouthed the Panthers. She was forced across the world, essentially kidnapped by Eldridge Cleaver. She ran for office with Bobby Seale. For years, Elaine Brown was at the centre of it all. Brown shows that there was clearly a cult of the gun and a cult of their leader, Huey P. Newton. Brown describes the Central Committee as, quote, a body of men with titles but no power. They had begged Huey to lead them, guide them, take charge of the party and their lives, the way men always do with their gods, end quote. The Panthers' disputes, political and other, were regularly solved by violence. In a confrontation over the production of the Panthers' paper, Brown ran up against Bobby Seale. Seale had her taken down to the basement and whipped, and Brown accepted it. Quote, Punishment was always an act of violence. If we had been in Bolivia with Shea, we would be shot for violations of rules. End quote. True, but somewhat besides the point. Later, Brown was a witness as Huey Newton drove Bobby Seale out of the party. Newton had Seale whipped with a bullwhip in his penthouse apartment. Huey says, quote, you have violated the trust of the party, end quote. Huey Newton identified the Black Panther Party with himself. Quote, you are no longer chairman. In fact, I no longer want you in this party, end quote. Huey tells Seale he is now homeless. Quote, be out of your house, my house, by morning, end quote. The Panther regime Brown describes owes more to the structure of a gang than that of a political party. When Brown takes over the Panthers in 1974, there is no vote. Huey Newton just hands over power to her in the same way he put her onto the Central Committee. Brown assembles several hundred leading Panthers and tells them, quote, I have control over all the guns and all the money. There will be no internal opposition. I will not re resist and put down. If you don't like what we're going to do here, this is your chance to leave. You better leave because you won't be tolerated, end quote. By the early 70s, the Panthers had become big business. They looked for money to fund their community-based survival programs, taking, quote, donations, end quote, from legal and not-so-legal businesses. The programs gave a lot of children some schooling they would not have received elsewhere. A lot of people got fed when they could have gone hungry. But the money went elsewhere, too. When Brown visited Huey Newton in Cuba... She says she took him $10,000. She adds that she spent $10,000 in a clothes binge. At the end of Brown's book, the Panthers are collapsing into the capitalist Democratic Party, the destination of so many of the US's radical movements. Brown attends high-powered business lunches and gets wrapped up in the wheeling and dealing of bourgeois politics. Here, the problem of nationalist, black rather than class politics unwinds itself. How to move beyond black community-based politics resting on one in eight of the U.S.'s population, to politics capable of answering broad social and governmental level questions. For, of course, a minority of one in eight, as African Americans are, cannot alone take decisions for the overall society in which they are immersed. The Panthers rose and fought at a time when American socialists were utterly marginal, and the white workers were quiet, hostile, or full of hatred for black people and their movement. That was the tragedy of the Black Panther Party. The Panther Programme, 1966. 1. We want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. 2. We want full employment for our people. 3. We want an end to the robbery by the white man of our black community. 
4. We want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. 5. We want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. 6. We want all black men to be exempt from military service. 7. We want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. 8. We want freedom for all black men held in federal, state and city prisons and jails. 9. We want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities as defined by the Constitution of the United States. 10. We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice and peace. And as our major political objective, a United Nations supervised plebiscite to be held throughout the black colony in which only black colonial subjects will be allowed to participate for the purpose of determining the will of black people as to their national destiny.